Uh, hello, everyone. Thank you for spending part of your Saturday with us uh, for the Scripts and Scribes live stream podcast. Our guest today is the co-creator and showrunner of the Netflix series No Good Nick. He's also a writer whose film credits include Puss in Boots, American Pie 2, Shrek the Halls, Granddaddy Daycare, Kindergarten Top 2. Uh, did I just say Kindergarten Cop 2 incorrectly? Uh, and TV shows such as The Simpsons, Disney Space Racers, and The Kicks on Amazon Prime. He's also the creator of the very popular monthly West Side Writers Meetup. He is David H. Steinberg. Thank you uh, for joining us today and welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate being back. I, it's like an honor to be like asked back. You know that you didn't screw up. No, you're fantastic. We, we <laughs> love having you. And uh, everyone can see us. Glenn Toussaint and Clint Williams. Thanks, guys. We, they can see and hear us. Uh, so we were talking before you came on, um, we'll, we'll, we've got some questions for you and, uh, we will open it up to audience questions. So if you're in the chat and you have a question for David, please drop it in the, the, the chat and we'll get to it in just a minute. But you were talking about someone stealing your Hulu password and I, before, before I forgot about it, I wanted to get to that. <laughs> right. Well, so uh, when you, when someone is using your password, um, and it's coming from like a location, you don't know, you get a security alert to your email. And so I got a security alert from Hulu saying, um, you know, someone I think in like a main or something was using my password. Um, do you want to change your password and whatever? And I thought to myself, let's see what this person's watching. And I noticed that someone was watching the bear and they were like ahead of where I was. Mm. Um, so it seemed suspicious that someone was watching shows that I hadn't seen yet because um, you can see the completion rate. And so I thought to myself, you know, just hold off a little bit and i waited till they got to episode seven they finished episode seven of the bear then i changed the password logged out <laughs> logged out of all devices so they're just like they don't know what happened they're bugging yeah. their friends hey who's got a hulu password <laughs> nice yeah. nice that's yeah. a, just a little bit of fun Fun. I got a lot of good comment. I, I posted about that yesterday on Twitter and I got a lot of people saying this is the level of petty that I'm here for. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. That's what the Internet was made for. Right. Right. For, for sharing stories like that. Um, fantastic. If you haven't uh, seen or listened to uh, the last time David was on, uh, we did talk about, uh, you know, a lot of different topics like uh writing tv versus features um staffing tips how you got your first industry job all that kind of stuff so if you haven't heard that stuff you can go back and listen to that but i wanted to revisit uh some of the stuff we get asked most uh, requested other than obviously is it possible to break in screenwriting outside of la and the answer is yes if you're a screenwriter but not really if you yeah. want to write tv or a uh, more more specific question is how do i break in right or how to break <laughs> in which is so vague that we can't let me tell you here's how you do it right exactly um but i wanted to start off with sort of what is the most common question in terms of staffing right for someone out there without a rep how do they get staffed like do you even see writers that haven't that don't have a sort of rep like how would a writer get to a showrunner right or even know about jobs you know openings without a rep I don't want to give false hope to yeah. all these writers without reps, mm -hmm. but that being said, we did hire our, one of our staff writers on no good. Nick didn't have any representation. No, that's fantastic. <laughs> so it's not like, okay, so I'm going to, that's exactly what I'm going to do. So it's just a function of knowing someone who knows someone it's like mm -hmm. a relationship business. And usually that's the, someone that, you know, is your representatives who can mm -hmm. get it in front of networks, studios, showrunners. Um, and when it comes to staffing, you know, they sort of put the word out that we're looking to hire writers on the show 
and the, the agencies that are covering that network will um, say, oh, they're looking for some, some half hour writers at this level on a Netflix show. Um, and then they tell all their agents and the agents tell all their clients and they might just be submitting them automatically. So covering agents for certain networks are gonna be the ones that have the information first. But if you know the showrunner, obviously that's a shortcut because the showrunner is going to be the person who's primarily looking at samples with the network. You know, it's not a unilateral decision. Mm -hmm. So in this case, um, I was, my wife and I were, were co-showrunners and we asked uh, some friends that we knew in the in sort of comedy writers, hey, do you know anyone staff level that you could recommend? And one of, actually a writer I worked with a colleague she had been a writer on the kicks at Amazon mm. said, Oh, my friend. And she's really big in the sort of um, improv world said, you need to meet my friend so-and-so. And I said, okay, well get her script and send it to me. And we loved it. And we said, okay, this is a great writer. Let's meet with her. And we sent it to Netflix said, you read it. Cause we're going to meet with this writer and we want you to meet with them too. And, you know, she just nailed the meeting and we hired her. So she wound up becoming, and now she's a very successful writer. She's gone from show to show to show. She, I think she's like a co-EP level now. Wow. Um, so <clears throat> it's definitely possible to do it, but in that particular case, it's because she was very active in the improv world and knew mm -hmm. a lot of writers who were also improv actors who were on other shows who knew uh, showrunners who they'd worked with. So, I mean, unless you're in that kind of situation, just if you don't know anyone, then I don't really know how you're going to get your foot in the door. Right. If you have a relationship with, you know, comedy, or if you're just hypothetically, you're a doctor who's, you know, writing a medical drama and like, you know, another doctor in your hospital who worked, you know, as a creative uh, consultant on whatever Grey's Anatomy. And that person's like, oh, this friend of mine who's also a doctor is writing this medical drama and hands it to the showrunner of that mm -hmm. show then yes that's possible but generally speaking 99% of the time it's going through reps right and but you were talking about networking in other words uh this writer who was active in stand-up had that stand-up community and you happen to be the creator of the uh, West Side Writers Meetup. And I know there are other ones There's in the Valley yeah. and whatever around Los Angeles. I've seen a few others. Um, so uh, that leads to another question that I had in terms of perfect segue uh, that uh, <laughs> in terms of how important is networking and and uh, building a community for writers, especially TV writers? I think it's crucial, but I don't like the word networking. I think mm -hmm. of networking, I think of like it's the 80s and you're like going to a cocktail party right. and you're trying to like hand your business card out to people. And like a lot of times I'll meet, uh, I don't know if this is insulting or not, older writers mm -hmm. who like you meet them at like an event. We have our West Side Writers Meetup. We do it at this bar in Santa Monica and it's all outside and it's fantastic. And it's just people chilling and like getting to know each other, whatever. But then there's always like one or two older writers usually. And they're like, let me tell you about my, you know, feature comedy, mm. you know, we fade in on, and I'm like, dude, just chill out, man. It's okay. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't want to hear this. Um, but there's like these sort of certain types of people that are like ready to pitch their 20 different screenplays. Like I've got 33 completed screenplays, 59 pilots and 29 ideas ready to go in an instant. You just tell me what you want. And they're like door-to-door -door salesmen. Mm -hmm. And I'm 
I don't know if this is a stereotype. I don't know if this is going to get me in trouble. Also, always men, mm. <laughs> always older white men. And they're just like, I'm here to pitch my wares. And it's just not, that's not the way to do it. And that's right. just not, that's like networking from like the fifties. It's like not even the eighties. Right. So like no one likes that guy. And the organic way to network, which I call like being a normal human being mm-hmm. is to make friends with people who are in the business and who can offer you advice and you can offer advice back. And like, for example, two writers um, that came to one of the meetups uh, a few times ago, hit it off with each other. They're both comedy writers and they formed a writer's group. Oh, that's great. That is called networking. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's not networking, networking, but that is a good thing to do. And they started, um, you know, working together and you can like form a group, a community, whether it's screenwriting Twitter, which is a community, it's a real community, even though it's Twitter, you can um, get to know people, even like people that I've never met in person because they don't live in LA, Mm -hmm. but I'm like, oh yeah, that guy from New Orleans, I know him. um, He's probably listening right now. Um, But, you know, it's like, and you know him. And then if that person moves out to LA one day, I'm like, hey, I know you, you've been like an active member of the community for a year, for two years. And like, let's hang out in real life. Right. And I think the mistake is that starting writers try to network with like experienced upper level people, showrunners. Those people generally don't really want to be friends with you. Mm-hmm. The best networking is people at your own level who you can come up together. And then this person finds out about a job. This person becomes a staff writer. They recommend them their friend that they've known now known for a year to be the writer's assistant. You come up together, you know, you're a staff writer. And then the person you came up with becomes a creative executive at a network. It's just like you help each other as you move up together. It's that's the organic thing. And it's not based on like, can you help me? Can you get me ahead? Mm-hmm. It's based on like, we love doing this, but I need help. You need help. Let's help each other. And let's literally be part of a community, not like I'm trying to use you, you use right. me back. It's like, let's actually be, I don't know, should we say it? Friends? I mean, that's like the actual goal. What? Yeah. Right. Um, so we got our first question and then I'll, I'm going to jump back to another question I have. Uh, Joanne Lolly asks, what about older women at these meetups? Do they even go? And if so, do they behave the same as the older men? <laughs> I, I, don't, I knew I was going to get myself in trouble. <laughs> I just think that there's some, I mean, look, I'm a sort of middle-aged white guy. So I think I can say this. It's just these old white men have just this different attitude about how maybe it's a sense of entitlement or something or it's just they think their ideas are better than everyone else's so they like want to pitch you their idea and you're just gonna be like oh my god i've never heard that before that's such a great idea here's a big bag of money let's make a show together Mm -hmm. um yes there are older people of all types and i just have found that older women aren't like assholes like that so uh yes there are older women there's younger people there's people of all ages and ethnicities and whatever it's a very diverse group at these meetups we usually get about 150 people and we've done seven of them so far we did two last year during the lull in the pandemic we've done five this year it's turning out to be about once a month Mm -hmm. and yes it's largely you know writers that are younger or trying to break in or whatever they don't might not be literally younger but they're newer writers Mm -hmm. and but there's older people too it's not like you know, you feel out of place if you're in your 60s. Um, there's other people that are in their 60s. Um, so that, I guess, leads to my other question in that 
people have asked, is it, uh, when, do, when do you ask writers that you've made friends with? Writers who are above you in terms of their the career track, they may have sold things, they may have reps, they may have be a showrunner, and they've built a relationship with them. At what point do you ask that person to read your uh, script or take a look at your work? And the going consensus from a lot of people is you don't. If they want to, they'll offer to you. Uh, they'll say, hey, what do you have? Or I, I would be happy to read something if you have it. So you don't ask, you wait for them to ask. What is your take on that? Should uh, 100% agree. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you nailed it. I mean, it's just off-putting. It's mm -hmm. just like, okay, so now we've just gone from like, we're Twitter friends and we're like buddies and like you make funny replies and I've gotten to know your name and we're like, everything's chill. And then all of a sudden you're like DMing me saying, can you read my script? And I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, you just ruined the relationship. I right. mean, the analogy would be like, if, if you're like, I imagine it's probably going to mean to get me in trouble too, but if you're like <laughs> a, a woman that's friends with, you know, a heterosexual woman, that's better. It's in friends with a heterosexual man and you're just friends. And all of a sudden he's like, you know, and you think you have this great male friend and all of a sudden, then one day he's like, I just want to tell you that I have feelings for you. Mm -hmm. And the woman is like, no, that's not what I want. I want this friendship and you've just blown it. That's kind of what it's like when you ask a showrunner to read your script. Right. Like, I thought we were friends and now you want me to read your script. You were just using me the whole time. You really just wanted to have sex with me. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's kind of how that feels. So I agree with you that it's just better to wait. It's like have an organic relationship. And like, I will like sometimes ask people, okay, well, what do you've got? You know, can I read mm -hmm. your script? Because I'm intrigued by them or they'll like, we'll be having an interesting conversation and, or they'll be pitching their, their idea to someone else. So a lot of times at these meetups, I will say in a non-committal way, like, what are you working on? And they'll say, oh, mm -hmm. I'm writing a half hour comedy. I'm like, tell me about it. What's it about? Mm -hmm. And I, and sometimes I'm just like making conversations. Sometimes I want to like, I mean, I'm not like this, you know, mentor to, to strangers, but like, I'm like, Oh, well, I want to see how does this person like pitch and like this person, can they, it's practice for them to like pitch their idea. And, you know, I might say like, that sounds fantastic. Great job. Well, good luck with it. And that just means like, you, that sounds interesting. I'm not mm -hmm. going to read it, but you know, who knows? Mm -hmm. But like once in a while I might be like, you know what? Send me that. Right. Like, let me see. Let me take a look at that. Because maybe it's just like really intriguing and like not that often, but, and also I'm like pretty busy. So I'm not necessarily offering to read scripts all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so just asking a relationship that's not that far along to read your script is kind of like taking it to the next level. Right. Um, but in a situation where you're like in a room that might be different and still you're probably better off waiting for them. If you're, if you're the writer's assistant and you know, all these writers I think the way to do it, if I were a writer's assistant or if I were a, a PA in a writer's room, make it clear that you want to be a writer. Everyone mm -hmm. knows that, but if they're not clear on it, make it clear. Um, talk about the thing you're working on. You know, like you don't have to like hint, hint, mm -hmm. but you can walk in and, and like if you're, you know, the co-EP is like, oh man, you look tired. You get any sleep. Like, oh, I was working on my script last night. You know, it's tough. You know, when I'm right, I'm in the room all day. Then when I get home, I got to, mm -hmm. you know, I got to write my, my project. I'm like, I just did a rewrite. Oh man, I got these notes from a friend of mine, you know, complaining, like we're, we're complaining about the same stuff. It's like, you think the network notes you get are so bad on this show. Wait till you see the notes my buddy gave me, mm -hmm. but don't worry. I executed it. Spirit of the note. I got a new draft. I'm really excited. 
and the end of the conversation. And then now that keep he's like, oh, well, you know, when you get it ready to, to send out, I'll take a look at it. Mm-hmm. Maybe, they maybe they don't, but you're like organically, not hint, hint, but you're like talking about what you're doing. It's like your passion project. And like, if someone wants to read it, they'll tell you. Mm-hmm. Because a, a lot of newer writers do, and, and maybe the older male writers you were talking about, either they come from a different era where, again, the Philip Rushman knocking on the door kind of thing, selling you a vacuum cleaner, or maybe it's, it's they, they see their clock ticking faster, right? Because they have less runway sort of to take off in their mind. Maybe that's part of it as well. I don't know. But um, how does one, because uh, again, uh, Everyone there is is trying to be, you know, at the Red Side Writers Meetup or anywhere you meet them, I'm sure they're trying to break in. Right. And uh, so when you see an opportunity that they feel that they may not have again in the future, i.e. meeting a showrunner or somebody an upper level or a screenwriter, producer, whatever it happens to be, the tendency is to pitch something because I only have one shot. Right. This is my opportunity. I may not get it again. Um, so how do they temper that? I know it's, it's, I don't want to say it's easy for you because obviously, you know, you, you had your own path. And if you want to hear about David's path, listen to our previous episode, <laughs> uh, but no, it's, it, it, you, you are the, 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 where they want to be, right. The, the yeah. paid writer, the showrunner and all that kind of stuff. So for a lot of them, they may view this as their one shot. How do they temper that by saying, okay, well, I want to start to build a relationship or, you know what, I'm just going to go into it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, I get it. I totally get it. And it's like, everyone's impatient and they're like, this is my big break. And like, oh no, I just blew my one opportunity, mm-hmm. but, and it's easy to say it, it's hard to, to do it, but you got to look at the long game. It's yep. about building a career and like your first, you know, sale, your first job is going to happen when it happens. And it's not going to be your last one. The one thing you don't want to do is get that opportunity and have it be a sale or job or whatever, and then blow it because you're impatient to get to the mm-hmm. next level and you're being a jerk. And then, you know, a lot of writer careers are very, very short. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be the person that like sells your project and then never sells anything again. And there's, right. look it up. Uh, there's people like that all over screenwriting Twitter that sold something 20 years ago and then that was it. Mm-hmm. So you want to have the long game. You want to have a career and if that means it takes longer for you to, to break in, then so be it. And I, I get it. You want to like get that job, get that money. And you're, you're tired of working at you know, your, your shitty day job that you don't like, but just jumping at what you think is your only opportunity is going to be the, the way to kill that opportunity. And also kind of come across as like not a cool person because mm-hmm. a lot of it is about relationships and, and, you know, once a, a showrunner's reading a bunch of scripts and says, okay, I want to meet with these people it's like the slate's clear it's like it's not like well this person wrote the best script and this one wrote the second best script and here's number nine coming in today once they got the meeting you throw out all the scripts and it's like okay well who do i want to hang out with Mm -hmm. and you might hire the person that barely got the meeting because they had a great personality and the person with the amazing script turned out to be a dud or a jerk and you just don't want to spend time with them so it's all about you know forming a relationship and being an interesting person that has life experience and, and has something to contribute to the room besides being a good writer. Um, it's also being a good person. So, you know, you want to just, you know, it's easy to say, just relax, man. It'll (laughs) happen when it happens, but 
I get it. You know, you're impatient. And, you know, and another thing I want to say, like when you, you touched upon about like the older writers, you feel like time's running out. Mm. I don't know if that's exactly it. I don't think that they think that like, this is their one opportunity. I think it's just more of a sense of entitlement mm. that they feel like their ideas are just really, you know, it's, it's a more of a function, I think, of deserving it, which I think gotcha. is, is kind of off-putting. Right. No, and I've heard that from showrunners, other showrunners as well, in that and reps, in that when asked about if ageism exists, obviously, you know, it, it exists, right, to some degree. But really, the only tangible issue that a showrunner or even reps have because of this is when older writers there's two things one when they write old like all the references yes, are from yes, the yes. 80s or something like that and they they're not updated like they can't talk about tiktok or whatever it happens right. to be in their references and two when you had mentioned um in terms of they come in as a staff writer or you know meeting for a staff writer and they feel like they're above that already like they don't right. want to learn anything they feel right. like they're just i should be a co-ep because i'm 60 years old right i'm older than you I should be your boss. You shouldn't be my boss. I have a wealth of experience. I was a vice president of sales at this company. Absolutely. And so when they come in feeling like that, instead of I am newer to this game than you, I want to learn what you know, even though you're younger than me or whatever. Um, that's when it becomes an issue, I think. Yeah, you nailed it. Those Both those things are very, very important because first thing that you said that I think I 100% agree with is that it's not being old, it's writing old. Mm. And and that's very well put because I work really hard at like trying to keep up on, you know, memes and pop culture. And like, I need, I can write in the voice of a 15 year old, which is not the same as a voice of a 15 year old, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. I used to write, you know, teen sex comedies, you know, American pie movies, whatever. And I, you know, wasn't a teenager at that time either, but you have to like, stay up to date. Like what are the things that kids are saying these days? Mm-hmm. And like, I listen to linguistics podcasts. I like, you know, check out, I like read urban dictionary. I know what, you know, know your memes. I like mm-hmm. I've got teenage kids and I'm like, Oh, explain that to me. Like, what does it mean? I literally the conversation the other day, it's like, I was asking my son, like, what does it mean when an old person texts you one dot and they, <laughs> and they hit reply? Like, <laughs> is that just like a mistake? Or is that something that old people do mm-hmm. that like young people think is like stupid? And like, I'm trying to like stay up to date and I'm 52 years old, but I can write in the voice of a 13 year old because I work at it. Not because Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, no 13 year olds. It's because you do your research. Like what are the terms that kids are using these days? What are the terms that are no longer in use? And it's not just like, you know, in a script where it says he picks up his cell phone and you're like, as a writer in 2022 have to tell a writer, like, you know, we don't say cell phone anymore. We just say phone. Now, mm-hmm. if you look at an old script from 20 years ago, it says like, you know, cell phone, but now we just say phone because it implies whatever, you know, I look at scripts from like 20 years ago and it's like, you know, this is a rich guy and he's got his big screen TV and you're like, okay, all TVs are big screen mm-hmm. TVs. And like, I know scripts would say like plasma TV, you have to like, make sure your technology is up to date for sure. But that's not it. That's not all of it. Mm-hmm. You also have to understand how to, you know, you have an ear for dialogue and like, how do kids, and I'm not saying like I hang out like at, you know, high schools and like eavesdrop on kids because, you know, then I'd be arrested. But I listen to a lot of podcasts. I, I'm really fascinated by language and by mm-hmm. words. Mm-hmm. And if you're not doing that research, there's no way you're going to be able to be able to write like a person that's much younger than mm-hmm. you. 
So that's a lot of hard work. And if, and I think, you know, for an older writer, being older doesn't fucking matter. Mm-hmm. Writing old is a problem. And you nailed it on the head when you said it that way. Um, and the other thing is that you're right. Some writers have a sense of entitlement. And I'll give you a story. When I was um, in 2015, I got my first staff job. I was a staff writer on the Kick show. You, you mentioned the Kicks at Amazon. I was literally staff level. I got writer's skills scale. I did not get paid for my scripts because staff writers don't get paid for scripts. Mm-hmm. But when they offered me that job and I wanted desperately to get into TV, I was like, they said, well, the only thing they're going to give you is staff level. And I said, okay. I, and, and I was also like, well, can I be a co-EP? And they're like, they're going to give you staff. And I was like, great. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to learn. I totally hit it off with the showrunner. We became really good friends. I was like, I'm just here to learn. I'm not here to like, you know, say it. And I had 10 movie credits by that point. Mm-hmm. And I had already executive produced a pilot. So like, no one gives a shit about your, your experience. This is what we're offering you. Do you want it or not? Are you here to learn or not? And mm-hmm. I was like, yes, I am. I am here to learn. And that was the most amazing experience of my, of my TV career. And I learned so much from that show and made relationships with a lot of other writers that if I had had an ego about it said, no, I've got these credits or I was a, like you said, I was a VP at a pharmaceutical company. I'm not going to be a staff writer. Then like, okay, well, guess what? There's 3000 other people that will take that job. Absolutely. Um, and in terms of uh, hiring writers uh, and, and specifically, you know, we were talking about older writers and uh, writing old. And, and another thing that I, in terms of like writers who write old, but aren't writing younger characters per se. But another thing that, that I've noticed is like using older references. Right. Like, oh, the detective, you know, like talking about, oh, he was a detective like Columbo, like no younger person is going to, you know, unless your character in that script is 70 years old. Right. They're not going to be referenced, you know, or it's like intentionally a retro reference for some reason. Right. Exactly. Uh, And that's actually one way where they may be able to fit. Like if you if all your references come from the 80s and you're writing an 80s show or 80s movie, then fine. It fits. Yeah. You're on Stranger Things. Great job. Right. (laughs) Uh, But if you're trying to write, you know, anything contemporary, anything modern and your references are all from the 80s or 90s. uh, Yeah. I mean. And I think that writers today are in a much different situation than you were probably breaking in, in that like to try to, at least you had kids growing up. So I guess you had a sounding board, but an older writer who wants to, to hear what teenagers sound like can go to TikTok, can go to YouTube and just yeah. listen to them. I mean, yeah. honestly, you know, you don't have to go to the mall and seem like a creeper. Like right, you right. probably had to do 20, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Right. Oh man. I have so much time in the malls. The cops all knew me. <laughs> That's funny. Um, uh, Last time we talked about uh, writing TVs and features and sort of the difference between them. I I wanted to ask you for writers out there who are sort of newer and starting out and and maybe they're interested in writing either. They just want to write, right? They want to write a pilot. They want to write TV staff writer. They want to write a feature, whatever they can do. Uh, What should they focus on if they're sort of putting more of their energy into one or the other? Are there certain personality traits that you notice that are more prevalent in one versus the other? Obviously, location plays a, a strong part in that. If you're not in Los Angeles, screenwriting is sort of your way in because TV writing is very difficult you know, to, to staff if you're not in Los Angeles. Um, but what would you recommend for a writer out there who, again, feels equally strong? They 
just love to write. They have a pilot, they have a feature. If they have to put their energy in one or the resources, their money in, yeah. in one or the other, uh, submitting the contest, sending it out, whatever. What What is your recommendation on that? How, how would well, one tell what is probably yeah. the better option for them? I mean, I don't think it's a question of personality. I think mm-hmm. just like a, an overview of, of the headline differences is that when you write a feature script, um, you can sell it. That's the big difference is that it's primarily a business that's based on spec scripts. You write a script, people love it. You get a producer, they take it to a studio, someone buys it. That's your home run scenario. Um, and until you have a new track record, you're probably not going to sell anything on pitch. Mm. Almost impossible to sell a pitch in the feature business unless you've got a lot of credits. TV is basically the opposite. Once you write that script, it's a sample. No one's going to buy your specs pilot. Yes, it's possible. You can give me a list of counterexamples, whatever, whatever. But usually those are like more experienced showrunners, whatever. But as a general rule of thumb, if you write that pilot, that's a sample. And you're trying to get a job off your sample. Say, look how well I write. Give me a job Mm -hmm. as a staff writer. Um, Because most shows in TV are sold on pitch because the networks want to be involved from the inception. It's more of a pitch business. So if you're looking to you know, make money, you live somewhere else and you want to like, try to like get that lottery ticket. Writing a feature is one way to, if in the best case scenario, you sell it, you're going to make money and you don't have to necessarily go anywhere because the problem, the the benefit and the the drawback to being in the film business is that once they buy it, they really don't need you anymore. Yes. You're going to be hired to write the first rewrite, but they're probably going to hire another writer they don't necessarily need you on set. They're going to either have another writer on set or not have anyone just have the director handle it. So it's like a one-off business. You write the script, best case scenario, you sell it. They're like, thank you very much. Here's your money. You are now done. We're going to make this movie without you. We have a director, the director's in charge, and we'll let you know when the premiere is. So that might be appealing to a certain writer where if you're older, if you live somewhere else and you don't really want to, or you don't have the ability to like be involved that's, you know, it's like closer to being like a novelist. You write your thing in the, you're like in the cabins in the woods, you write your thing, you send it out and then like you move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. So being a film writer is more like being a novelist. Being a TV writer is like, okay, so your best case scenario is like, I wrote this fantastic pilot. You get a meeting with a show, you get representatives, you get meeting with a showrunner, you're in the room and they're like, you're hired, you're a staff writer. Now it might be a Zoom room in the pandemic but as a general rule of thumb you're sitting down in a room in los angeles and that's your job and you're into staff writer and then if you do a great job for a year you get promoted to story editor and then eight years later you've made your way to co-ep and now you're pitching shows and maybe if you're doing a network show you've got an overall deal at cbs and you're making a million dollars it's like a long trajectory of going from a beginning writer to becoming a writer producer Mm -hmm. and working your way up to showrunner. It's a career trajectory, which involves being there and a long-term um, in-person relationship business. So that's much more of a career. And the reason why I really strongly prefer TV, and I learned this the hard way from doing film for 10 years, was that in the film business, because you're like in a cabin in the woods, you don't learn anything. Mm. And there's no other writers. You write something. Sometimes I rewrote other writers. I never met them. And then I turn in a script. Good job, bad job. I get rewritten by someone that never meets me. And you're like, I 
I don't know if I did a good job. They greenlit it. I guess I must have done something right. Or like they put in turnaround. I don't know how I screwed up, but apparently I did. So no one's giving you any feedback. In the TV business, you're learning a skill set. There's other writers there that know more than you. They're saying, oh, well, that's not how we do. Like the, a better way to do a blow to the, to the comedy scene is this. It's like, oh, we don't do that because here's how we do things in TV. And you're starting learning to be on set. And as a writer producer, you're producing the television shows. So you're learning a skill set among other writers, learning how to be collaborative. And every day is a learning experience. And that's why I think it's a better business for a long-term trajectory because you're acquiring skills that are valuable and marketable. And then when you become a showrunner, there, you know, there's a lot of showrunners out there. But if you've run a show before, that's a skill that is marketable that mm -hmm. you know a network's like okay well they know how to do that so let's hire them um whereas if you're a film writer it's like well you know you wrote a script anyone could write a script we can just have someone else write a script right no real skill other than the writing itself in being a film writer mm -hmm. so that's kind of a, the big picture difference um, I don't remember the original question though. I don't know if, did I answer it? <laughs> no, you did. But we were talking about like writing TV versus writing features. And you had mentioned that sort of the best case scenario in, in features is selling, you know, the home run is selling your spec, which is true. And in, in TV, the, the likelihood of a newer writer who doesn't have any credits selling their pilot to actually become a show is infinitesimal. It happens yeah. every blue moon, but very, 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 very. Even showrunners have a hard time getting shows right. sold and made. So the likelihood and by the way, I don't mean to interrupt you, but one no, thing no. I'll tell you is that I have sold TV shows on pitch. I don't know, a dozen times, 20 times. I don't know. I've never sold a script that my wife and I wrote on spec as a pilot no wow. pilot script that was ever written mm -hmm. has ever sold that interesting from me, from me. huh go on um no but i was gonna say like using your pilot as a writing sample uh can you talk a little bit about owas and using your feature as a writing sample as well because and i'm assuming that some of the some of the stuff you've written in terms of like american pie 2 and and, and things like that um uh were not specs, right? I'm no, assuming that they were writing assignments that you had booked based on other writing that you had done yeah. uh, and hired for that job. So, uh, because a lot of work is OWA work and it's not selling specs. So like for a newer writer, although newer writers may not book a lot of that because you're in competition with more seasoned writers per se, right. but um, so what would you say in terms of like, or can you talk a little bit about the OWA process? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just to be clear for the people who don't know what we're talking mm -hmm. about, OWA is an open writing assignment. Mm -hmm. And that's the bread and butter of the film business. So I didn't mean to imply that if you are a film writer, you're selling a spec, you get your money, then you got to go write another spec because that's the only way to make money. Mm -hmm. The primary way you make money as a film writer is to be hired by a studio for something that they have that's not your original. So it's not an original piece of material that you've generated which would be your spec script or a pitch, but is a piece of material that they have. Mm -hmm. So that could be a piece of IP. If it's a book, it could be a video game. It could be anything, graphic novel. It could be a sequel or a remake. Um, so that's like the main things that um, studios are, are making. So they say, hey, we've read your script. Maybe you sold it. Maybe you didn't sell it, but it was like on the blacklist or it was like, you mm -hmm. know, won the nickel or something like that. And you got your representation and this is your go-to sample, even if it didn't even sell, but like, Hey, my script won the nickel. And this is like 
my calling card and you're sending it out and you're maybe you're a sci-fi thriller writer or whatever you are and they're sending out your script that didn't even sell never got made but it's like a phenomenal script that won some big prestigious award and they're like this is the exact person we need to write our movie that we have that is a sequel that we're doing you know the next whatever uh we're doing the I don't know. I can't, I can't just, you know, we have a book that we just optioned some best-selling writer we're looking for someone to write the script version of it. And they're like, what's your take? So in that situation, then your, your reps are sending your script around to um, people. And there's sort of a list of like the open assignments that um, they're looking to hire writers on. And they're going to submit you for that um, with or without you knowing. And then if you get a positive response, then they're like, okay, let's hear your take. So that's the keyword, mm-hmm. the take. So now you're in the game and you, your fantastic feature sample got you um, a meeting on um, adapting a book at whatever, Paramount. And so you've got to read the book and it come up with a take. It's like, well, the book is great, but it's actually you know very internal because there's a lot of like this character thinking about things mm-hmm. and like, here's how I would have it. So there's a lot of ways we could do that. We could do that with voiceover, but that's not how I would do it. The way I would do it is I'm going to invent a new character where he's got a robot friend. And so all his internal monologue is really him having conversations. I mean, I just made that up, but actually not a bad idea. So like the point is that a lot of problems you'll see when you're adapting books is that there's an internal monologue is easy to write in a book, but it's hard to visualize in a, in a movie. So you have to like create other characters for them to talk to. <laughs> that's the number one problem you have in adapting books. Um, so like, who are they talking to? Okay, robot. Um, so you go in and pitch your take and you're up against 12 other writers who are also pitching their take and some of them you know, have Academy Awards. So someone gets that job and they're like, great, you've been now hired to write this adapt- adaptation of a book mm-hmm. and you just got a big chunk of money and you're writing their project because I hate to break it to you, most movies that are made are not original. I don't know what the numbers are, maybe it's 10%. So your original spec Maybe it sells in a miracle situation, but more likely in 2022 is that it gets your foot in the door to pitch on assignment. These Mm -hmm. open writing assignments, also known as assignments, um, are the the way you actually make money. Mm -hmm. And in addition, using it as a writing sample for something that's not an OWA, where you get a general, and in this general, you there's obviously just chit chat about you know what you like to write or what you're, what you did for the weekend. Where Where are you from? from? Yeah. All that kind of stuff. The water bottle tour, so to speak. But once in a while, if they like you, your personality and they like your writing, which they should have because they met you, they'll say, Oh, I, I'm, I've read this New Yorker article on whatever it happens to be. And I was thinking about, you know, what this, they, they, they have a vague idea. They just like this article. And so they'll give you the article and invite you back in a few weeks to pitch your take on what this would be as a movie or TV show or whatever it happens to be. And if they like it, then you can kind of proceed down that path and maybe maybe it leads to something. But that's also, uh, you know, basically I'm just saying that there's many avenues of, you know, writing uh, a feature that could lead to other yeah. other work other than yeah. selling it. Because selling, again, selling things is so hard. So yeah, it's, and, and you're right. And like a lot of times it'll come out of general meetings. You're in a general meeting and they're like, what are you working on? And you're like, oh, mm-hmm. I've got a new thing I'm almost done with. It's this amazing story about whatever. Mm-hmm. And you're pitching your thing. And, but a lot of times you have, you, I have a whole thread about how to do general meetings, but one of them is preparing and like setting a goal for what are you trying to get out of this meeting mm-hmm. and say, well, what do you guys 
looking for? Mm-hmm. What do you have? Do you have any books? I love to adapt books. Do you have any graphic novels? I'm a huge um, graphic novel fan. Or like, tell me what you got. Oh, and they think, well, actually, we do have a graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Let me give it to you. And like sort of saying, forget what I have. You're never going to buy my shit. What do you have? <laughs> right. You know, what do you want a writer for? And sort of rack their brains to try to tell you what they might have that they want to hire you. Because frankly, if it's theirs, they're a hundred times more likely to mm-hmm. want to hire someone on it than if it's yours. Right. Um, you know, the thing that they love is like, oh, your idea was great. Not that my idea was great, but your idea was great. Mm-hmm. And I loved it so much. And here's the take. But one thing I'll warn you about the, the feature business, the, yeah. one of the reasons why it's so hard is that nine out of 10 times when you lose a job, when you go in for a take on something, you lose to no one. Not It's one out of 10 times, another writer gets the job. Mm-hmm. Nine out of 10 times, no one gets the job because it's just bullshit free development. Mm -hmm. They're like, yeah, we got a graphic novel. We have no intention of making this movie, Mm -hmm. but sure. If you want to like read the graphic novel and spend a month coming up with a take, Mm -hmm. be my guest, go for it. And they come in and go, yeah, that is a really good way of doing it. I really think that you have, have, have cracked it. We're still not going to make this and we're not going to hire you and you're never going to get any money. Right. Good job, you know, right. giving us some free development or even worse, like, oh, you read this book, you came up with a take, like now we see why this mm-hmm. book is really hard to adapt. And like, this is probably not a good movie for us. Mm-hmm. So it's like free mm-hmm. development bullshit mm-hmm. of having a, not just you, but maybe a dozen writers, you know, racking their brains, trying to figure out, is this a movie for someone? And then mm-hmm. the answer is mm-hmm. no. Right. <laughs> a free no writer's one, room. Yeah, no one gets the job. Yeah. And uh, it's, it even happens uh, on rewrite assignments, <clears throat> excuse me, where they'll have a script that it doesn't happen as much now as it did, you know, five, 10 years ago, where they'll buy a script and they know it's not ready and they need either someone super cheap to come in and, and rewrite it. But more likely, they need to find out what all the problems are. So like you said, they'll bring in a ton of writers. Take, re- take a read of the script. We're looking for someone to rewrite it. And you'll go and c- kind of come up with all the issues. And then you and the 12 other writers will give them all the problems. Great. Thanks. And then yeah. so that, you know, they can go to. You know. Yeah, that's actually a great idea. If you want to get someone to read your <laughs> script and to give you notes for free, just tell them you're hiring someone to rewrite it. Right. And like tell, call the agency, say, I have a, a, a script that, that needs a rewrite. We're looking to hire a writer. And we've got money mm-hmm. and then CAA will send you like all these writers and like you give them the script and they'll like tell you exactly what you did wrong and exactly mm-hmm. how to fix it. And you go, right. yeah, we're not going to, we're not going to pursue that. Thank you right. so much though. And then you got some, <laughs> <laughs> you got some Oscar winner giving you notes because he thinks he's going to get a rewrite job. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. No, no. We, we were just joking, but that's, it's funny. <laughs> um, so you do the West side writers meetup, which is, we talked about, it's not networking. It's just, building a community, build, you know, socializing, uh, making friends in the industry, don't network. Uh, for those who are not in Los Angeles and cannot come to the West Side Writers Meetup, do you have any thoughts or ideas on what they can do within wherever they are? Well, I mean, there's a lot of things you could do. Look, if you're in a major market somewhere else, you can mm-hmm. do your own meetup. If you're like, I know the New York people are always trying to like do their New York meetup, you know, it's one thing to talk about organizing a meetup. It's, it's another thing to actually do it. It's like, yeah. that's kind of like show running level skills to actually like pull the trigger and make something happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to pat myself on the back there, but here's the thing. So you don't live in a major market and you're not going to do a meetup. So what else can you do? 
get active on the screenwriting community. You know, there's a mm-hmm. virtual world. And like, I know Twitter can be a dumpster fire a lot of times, but, <laughs> but the screenwriting community is pretty nice. Yeah. You know, they might have like a flame war about like two periods or one, or sorry, two spaces or one right. after a period. Where well, do you fall? Well, it's like, I, I, I look, we can talk about that for an hour. I'm a clearly in the one space camp because mm-hmm. it's 2022. I'm not mm-hmm. using a typewriter. It's not 1950. Right. And like, you will find the people who put two spaces after a period are old timers. Gotcha. And even though I may be physically old, I'm mentally young. So, which is, which we described and we talked about as being the important part. Yeah. I mean, that could be, you could filter someone out right there. If you're like two spaces after a period, I'm like, okay, where this is a young person show. You're not Mm. going to get hired. Right. Um, But the point is that the community itself is pretty nurturing. And like, there's a lot of free advice and there's a lot of upper level people that are willing to help out paying it forward, you know, just giving free advice all day long. Mm -hmm. So screenwriting is a big community that I highly recommend people get involved in. Um, But there's also like, you can form a writer's group. You don't have to live in the same place to like Mm -hmm. people at your level say, oh, you write one hour medical dramas. I write one hour medical dramas. Read my script. I'll read, read your script. Let's give each other notes. Hey, there's some other people. Let's form a writer's group. Let's put ourselves on a schedule. Let's have um, every Thursday night we meet up and you have to like have written 10 pages and look, keep us, you know, on schedule, whatever. So you can form a virtual writer's group. Um, I know a lot of writers who've done that and it's incredibly helpful to like get, and you're not like begging people to read your script. You're in our writer's script. That's the whole mm-hmm. point is that you read each other's scripts. So um, that's, that's, uh, you know, incredibly helpful. And then there's also just reading scripts in general, getting access to scripts of like produced films produce tv shows to like see how the pros are doing it um you know people always say the best education is reading successful scripts and i totally agree with that you know get your hands on some scripts and just read a lot mm-hmm. and then also i mean seems obvious but watch a lot of tv if you want to be a tv writer you know what are the shows that everyone's talking about if people are talking about a show and you know you're not familiar with it watch the damn show mm-hmm. if you're a tv writer you know, you need to know your references. If, you, if, if you're a film writer and you walk in and you're like pitching a horror movie and they're making references that you're not familiar with, then well, you don't really know your business. Right. So, you know, that's part of the job. That's why uh, your Netflix um, monthly fee is a tax deduction. Right. <laughs> no, that's exactly it. That's funny. Um, wow. Uh, so talking about um, writing in, in terms of, uh, TV writing and showrunner meetings and things like that. You were talked about, what are you watching, right? Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. that being a very common question for TV writers in a showrunner meeting. So what are you watching? And if you can only answer, eh, I only watch movies or whatever, that's obviously a black flag or, you know, it's a red like, flag. I don't even own a TV. No, right, exactly. Possible. One of those people. Yeah, I don't <laughs> own a TV. Um, so uh, what are some other very common questions that you found either being part of a showrunner meeting as the showrunner or on the other side, you know, taking a showrunner meeting from the other side, what are some common questions that you get asked that writers should always be prepared for? Yeah. I mean, that's a great one. It's like, what are you watching is a great question because it's not just like it's, there are no questions in a showrunner meeting that are like innocent. Hmm. It's like, you're trying to get to the heart of the matter. And if I say, what are you watching? I want to know what are your tastes? And also I want to know what's your smart analysis. If you say, Oh, I'm watching the bear. And I loved it. Why? What's great about it? Mm-hmm. If you say I love the, I watched the bear and I hated it. That's fine too. I don't care if you love or hate it. Just tell me why. And it has to be smart. 
And if you say, um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just watching, I'm, you know, I've got two small kids and I just watch like preschool shows. I'm like, okay, but like, what's the best one? Why is it the best one? Mm. You know, like, what is it about that? That is, is inspires you to, what have you learned from that? You know, I, I watched when um, She-Ra with my daughter years ago, and it was amazing. It was like such a well-done show, not necessarily on the right demographic for it, but like, there's so many things going on in that show that are really well done for like teen and younger, you know, animation, whatever the point is. So what shows you watching? A lot of times a meeting will start with like, where are you from? Mm -hmm. And I have a whole thread on like taking general meetings, which you should check out on Twitter. And that is just an invitation to launch into anything. You need to have your stories ready to go that tell the person you're talking to, who you are as a person, what's your voice, what's your personality. And there should be a very succinct story that tells them that. So it's, if, if someone says, where are you from? And you say, oh, I'm from Connecticut. It's like, you're saying that's not helpful. That doesn't lead to anything. Right. It's like, that's true. I'm from Connecticut. Mm -hmm. Now that's a conversation killer. And it's like, okay, great. So, and it's like, now they're like trying to think of the next question. Mm -hmm. But if you're, if they say like, where are you from? And I'm like, well, I grew up in Connecticut, but the funny thing is that I was a lawyer and I practiced law for four years and I hated it. And I was like, and I just launched into, I've got like 10 stories that have mm -hmm. been like carefully honed and edited and they're 95% true. There's a 5% like punch up going on in there, but it's like, you say, where are you from? And I'm like, well, let me tell you a story. Mm -hmm. I was in the army. I'm in Afghanistan. I were getting, I got shot. And that's when I realized that I want to be a TV writer, mm -hmm. whatever I made that up, but launch into your story. Cause where are you from? Just means tell me who you are. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't, so a lot of questions are not literal and no one's going to fault you. No one's going to come back at the end of your great story and be like, yeah, but you didn't really answer the question. Right. The question was, where are you from? Right. So just launching into things. And if you, it's not, it's a conversation, but it's also like about them learning who you are. So mm -hmm. it might be 75% you talking or 90% you talking, and that's okay. You don't, obviously you don't want to interrupt them if they're trying to make a point, but you have to just be comfortable with the fact that you're there just selling yourself and your personality and your humor with stories, not just like, I am an, I'm the kind of person that like says really sarcastic things all the time. <laughs> that would be like incredibly lame mm -hmm. because like, if you say something sarcastic, it's like show and tell, you know, like you want to like show them that you're an incredibly sarcastic person. You don't want to tell them that you're sarcastic. Right. Right. Show don't so, tell. Right. So like, if you say like, Oh, well, let me tell you a funny, like we started this whole thing. I was telling you about a hundred percent would start a general meeting. If I was going into a general meeting at a network or something and they say, Hey, what are you up to? What have you been watching? Mm -hmm. I would hundred percent start the meeting with like, Oh, I've been watching the bear, but let me tell you a funny story. So this guy stole my password. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and I found out I got the security alert and I would just tell that story the way I just started this entire podcast with. Mm -hmm. And you now immediately know that I'm like a petty person <laughs> that was like funny, funny, yeah. like maybe a little clever, yeah. how I like outsmarted this person and like right. diabolical. And it says a lot about my personality. It's like a hundred percent who I am. The fact that I would wait to screw this right. person over. Right. And now you know me and right. I and you know me because I told you a story and it's a true story. Right. And it's something that just happened yesterday. Mm -hmm. And it's like, those are the stories that you want to be telling. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. That's great advice. Um, 
Todd Klinger has a question. Says, hi, guys. David, love all those pics from the writers' meetups on Twitter. And speaking of Twitter, I'm trying extremely hard to show and clever and funny there. Does that actually make an impact? Yes, 100%. If you're successful. If you're trying to show it and you're, and you're failing, then... Hmm. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> here's the thing. Right. I had a, a tweet the other <clears throat> day. I was like, I'm forming a new club. It's the people who read the replies to hmm. a tweet to see if what I'm about to say has already been said. said. Right. And like, there's, and people are like, I'm in your club or like, there's only three members of your club because no mm -hmm. one does that. So the, here's the thing is that everyone thinks that they have a funny reply mm -hmm. and you're about to write it. And then you realize, Oh, that's the obvious joke. And the mm -hmm. comedy business, it's like you, a lot of times the immediate joke that comes to mind, everyone thought of the same joke. Right. And when you go, and you think of your funny replies, someone says something on Twitter, maybe they're an upper level person and you're trying to like show how clever you are and you go to reply, you check the replies and you go, oh, 20 people already said this. Mm -hmm. It is funny. Mm. I'm not saying it's not a good reply. It's just that it's not something that sets you apart because everyone thought of the same joke. Right. So check the replies, see if your joke has already been said because if you're the person that said the same joke. And, and by the way, I, I read all my replies. I'm like obsessively like, read everything and i mm -hmm. and i like you know i like all my replies and whatever but i'll see the same one over and over and over again and i'm like not mm -hmm. judging you mm -hmm. but you're not standing out either right if you actually mm -hmm. here's a little thing just for the people listening today i'll tell you a little secret about how i how i do my twitter <laughs> that mm -hmm. if you reply if i say something and you write a clever reply to me I will obviously just like your reply, whatever. But if it's really clever, then I will reply back to you with like a laughing emoji. Mm -hmm. If it's really, really clever, I'll give you three. Nice. So if, so if I like you wrote something that actually made me laugh, mm -hmm. I will reply with like, you know, essentially saying you actually made me laugh. If you just said something that was humorous, I'll be like, like. Mm. So if you can say something that's, you know, original and actually makes a person laugh, and I don't think I'm unique in this way people will get to know you mm. and people will be like, Oh, this person always has like a, a right. Interesting. It doesn't have to be a joke. It can be an astute observation. You go, you know, it's funny. Like uh, there's an article about that in the New Yorker. Maybe you haven't read it, but blah, blah, blah. here's a link. Mm -hmm. And I go, Oh, thank you. I hadn't seen that before. That, that was cool. So whatever you're trying to interact. It's just like schmoozing at a cocktail party. It's yeah. like being a human being mm. in the world. It's <clears> like, it, if someone says something, how do you say something that interjects yourself in, into that conversation in a way that's charming right. and not annoying and makes them remember you. And I can't give you the, the you know, the keys to the kingdom on that. You got to figure that out on your own. I don't know how to, you know, I know when I've been successful. I know when I failed, I, I tell you at the meetup um, this, we just had one last week at, on Tuesday. Um, there was another group there, they're from Amazon and, and they saw my name tag and said, Oh, you're Dave Steinberg. Everyone keeps asking where's Dave Steinberg. I'm like, Oh, are you not with the group? They're like, no, 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 we're with Amazon. We have nothing to do with this. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry that everyone keeps bothering you. They're like, no, 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 it's okay. We're we're fine. We're lawyers. And I'm like, oh, I'm a lawyer too. And I started talking to them, like, oh, you're a lawyer. And then they just like went like this. They were like, and I was like, oh, I'm overstaying my welcome. They don't <laughs> want to talk to me. And I was like, kind of got really embarrassed really fast. I was like, I said something like, oh, I thought we were going to have a conversation, but they weren't with our group. And they were just mm. like, and it was just like immediate, but I'm pretty perceptive yeah about when, when I'm, I'm reading the room that's good if you mm -hmm. if you're good at reading the room and I was like ooh, I just like I don't know what I did exactly but I just turned these people off and I'm like well and I said well anyways I don't want to keep you guys have a great night sorry to bother you bye and I just got the hell out of there mm -hmm. 
So read the room, even on Twitter. I'm like, is this, you know, going over well, or am I making an ass of myself? Right. And if you make an ass of yourself, it's fine. You know what happens? Just get out of there. Just back like the, uh, the Homer Simpson meme, just back into the bush and just disappear. Yeah. <laughs> Go do something else. Cause there's plenty of other people. Um, <clears throat> Todd Klinger also asks, do you think lit managers, producers, and showrunners such as yourself pay attention to things like users posting their contest placements and spec script shoutouts on Twitter? I would say that to get a manager, that stuff is going to be helpful. Um, I don't think that beyond that, anyone's, I mean, I, I see them all day long and I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, that's so nice. I'm so happy for you. But it's not like, if I was staffing a room and you said, I have, look at all these posts, all these, uh, you know, quarter finalist mm-hmm. things that I won in this contest, I would be like, I don't, <laughs> I mean, ultimately at the end of the day, it's like when the rubber hits the road, I'm just going to read the script. And if it's mm-hmm. good, it's good. And like, I don't really care what page said about it. So I'm not saying don't enter contests that they're hundred percent useless, but it's like, marginally helpful and it's like maybe um managers that are looking for new clients are going to look at that stuff and like once you get a rep i think the days of posting your contest wins are going to become less and less frequent Mm -hmm. just don't doesn't matter at at any level other than and and by the way if you're like trying to break into this business and you don't live in la and like what else are you going to do it's completely legitimate Mm -hmm. to like say hey look i got all these quarterfinal finish and you could have on your bio like 23 you know, laurels Mm -hmm. for this. And I won this thing and won that thing. And maybe that gets someone to read your script. Great. Then clean slate. None of those things matter anymore. Now it's, they read your script. How's the script? That's the only thing that matters. So once Mm -hmm. I'm reading your script, I don't care about your contests. So I think, I guess the point is all that stuff is wonderful to get someone to read your script. Beyond that, it's not going to be helpful. Right. And for the most part, it seems like the biggest fellowships and screenplay competitions and your placement in those will be will warrant merit on its own meaning if you win nickel you don't have to put i'm a nickel winner the 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 agents and managers will reach out to you right yeah. you don't have to say yeah. i won nickel they'll, they'll know yeah and presumably right? that's just going to be so good anyway that you know it's like people are going to read the script like oh i can see why you won the nickel mm-hmm. and by the way i'll make a distinction like contest placements mm-hmm. is like totally fine it's it's great it's mm-hmm. just the least useful thing to get you to the next level a shout out's kind of a different thing i should distinguish those two things if like a showrunner read your script and said i thought the script was great mm-hmm. i would take that more seriously i would be like oh okay well i'll read that too right um, if someone i knew read something and said it was good mm-hmm. that is a much more helpful piece of information than placement in a contest. Right. And something I'll note that Hillary Levi, who's a lit manager at Gotham Group, mentioned last week, if you are a writer and you are seeking representation and you are submitting to things, uh, leave in your bio. One thing that she suggested is seeking representation because like oftentimes she'll, if she gets past something or she sees, you know, uh, something and, and decides to follow up, and she doesn't know, sometimes she won't follow up. But if she's seeking representation, then, you know, because there have been times where she's reached out to someone and they say, oh, I already have a rep. So then that kind of turned her off to just reaching out to people right. uh, 
willy-nilly so to speak so yeah anyway so yeah and by the way one on that point i think that's a good point mm -hmm. is that i was talking to a writer the other day sometimes i, I do uh, phone calls with people um and the best thing to get a rep is a referral mm -hmm. I mean, maybe that's obvious maybe it's not obvious but if someone is calling or emailing on your behalf mm -hmm. that's going to be at the top of the pile versus contest shout out is yeah. good but like if someone that the manager knows says i read it you should read it that's like okay they're going to read that right so personal referrals are the best so if you work backwards from there getting to that point is kind of like the ticket to getting into the getting on getting to be read first by representation by right. rep representatives so how do you get that sort of personal referral shout out and it's like a function of a lot of times writers don't think to ask. And if someone, I'm not telling you how to get people to read your script. We already talked about that, but if someone reads your script and likes it, it's kind of, I'm not saying, Oh, well, you know, ask me and I'll give you a referral. Cause I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. But if someone likes your script and they, and you can always ask, do you know someone I'm looking for a manager, just like you're saying, mm -hmm. constantly reminding people what your goal is, is helpful. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for a manager. Oh, you liked my script. I'm looking for a manager. Do you know anyone? Mm -hmm. And maybe one of those people are like, oh, I didn't know you were looking. Sure. Let me talk to my friend, depending right. on how much they liked it. So letting people know that you um, are looking for representation and that you can I use. Okay. Here's, here's another little trick. It's not so someone reads your script. They love it. Can you give me a referral? Can you contact a manager on my behalf? Okay, that's a lot to ask for. Mm -hmm. No, I don't really feel, I don't know anyone. I don't feel comfortable, whatever, whatever. Okay, sorry, whatever. Can I use your name? Mm -hmm. I'll do it myself. Do you feel comfortable with me saying that you read my script and liked it? And they say, sure, I don't care as long as mm -hmm. I don't have to do anything. Right. And all of a sudden it's like, now you have the subject of your email to so-and-so manager is um, that person's name mm -hmm. liked my script. And they're like, oh, well, I know that person. And they're like, oh, so they're referring you. It's like, well, she said, you know, so-and-so read my script and loved it. And here's a quote. She said, blah, 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 blah. And she said that, you know, I, I can use her name to, you know, solicit managers because she knows I'm looking for a representation, but she's too busy to do it for herself. Mm -hmm. All true. Mm -hmm. And now it's like kind of like a referral. Right. But you're mentioning a person's name and it's like you know, a referral light. It's like sort of like a referral. So anyways, those kind of things can really help you get on the top of people's piles. Yeah. And just to add to that, it doesn't necessarily need to be someone that they know. Now, right. that's obviously the best situation if it's someone that they have a relationship with. But even if it's someone they've heard of in the industry, like right. if, if David himself, you know, David Steinberg said this was a great, you know, he read my script and he loved it. And this manager or agent doesn't know you personally. You don't have a working relationship at all. Yeah. It's like, well, I know David. He's a showrunner. Okay, I'll read it. Yeah, they like it's it. like look up their IMDb. It's like, yeah. I don't know who this, who this showrunner is. Oh, they're, they have this show. Okay, I've never seen that show before, but I know that they're a legitimate person. Right. So that's that's often the next best thing. If, if they're a working, legitimate, credible uh, right. professional in the industry and you're getting referral that way, that, that's also, or, you know, third hand, second hand referral that way. That's also beneficial. Right. Um, 
So let's see here. Uh, Simba Dabinga says, uh, do you agree that streaming series are not long movies? I think there's a difference between series storytelling and long movies. Yeah. Well, some of them are, some of them are. It's like, I'm assuming you're referring to the article that uh, Eric Kripke, I think I'm saying his name right, from, mm-hmm. um, from The Boys just wrote about, he's like, I'm a TV writer. The Boys is eight episodes long, but each episode is a TV episode that has mm-hmm. beginning, middle and end. And yes, there's a serialized element that tells the over the course of the season, it tells a bigger story, mm-hmm. but each episode is a TV episode. I agree with that. I 100% aspire to write those kind of series. No Good Nick was like that. It was a 20 episode season that told a 20 episode story, but each episode was an episode of television. Mm-hmm. Not all not all streaming is like that. If you look at um, Stranger Things, they specifically say that that's not what they're doing. If you, mm-hmm. I just um, recently read their um, original pitch deck, which is online. You can find it on your own um, where they're like, we are telling an eight hour movie. And, you know, part one and two and three of the movie is like the first act and then parts. And it's like, okay, that's their thing. Mm -hmm. That's the way they did it. Is that your cup of tea? I mean, obviously it worked for them for that particular story. I find that annoying because I don't want to like have the first two episodes or three episodes of a series be set up. I, I think that slow burn series are, you know, just not my thing. I don't like it. Right. So I like TV to be TV. And I think you can still tell an eight or 10 or 12 or 13 episode story that has each story be a story Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's television and streaming a lot of times is that, but some people disagree and they're just doing things differently. And that's the great thing about streaming is that people can come and say, here's how I want to do it. I want to tell an eight hour movie and the first two episodes is all going to be set up and introducing the characters, but we'll try to make it interesting. You know, some series are, yeah. I mean, like, and you can, and you can have like a debate, you can write your PhD dissertation on like, is uh white Lotus, is that an, a, an eight, a six hour movie or an mm-hmm. eight hour, whatever, how many episodes there are, or is that each episode is an own episode? I don't know. You tell me right. there's things that are in between it. I don't know if white Lotus is more episodic, like the boys are more stranger things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Barry, I think mm-hmm. Barry's slightly more episodic but it's not all the way episodic i don't know there's a lot of in between and there's no right answer it just depends what your objective is but you know i gotta gotta tell you if you're gonna be in the i'm telling an eight-hour movie camp one hour one's got to be pretty fucking amazing Mm because no one wants to watch an hour of setup right absolutely um Let's hear Jason Brad, David, I wonder what's a quality you look for in a staff writer that other EPs don't seem to value as much. Well, I mean, that's a kind of loaded question. I don't know what other EPs are not valuing. I think that most showrunners, I hope, are, you know, looking for the for the for good qualities. Um, you know, I think it's it's like a willingness to learn. Mm-hmm. I think that the we talked a little bit about ego before it's like mm-hmm. being like look i've got the job now i'm just here to like be helpful you're trying to realize the showrunner's vision so a lack of ego is helpful because i don't really want it to be i don't really care what your voice is it's just got to be my voice if you can mm-hmm. do it in my voice that's great so like people you know you don't want to be argumentative and i think that resilience is a really great quality 
because especially in comedy, you're pitching jokes a lot and it's like most of them are getting shot down and you try to be nice. That's a hard thing to do when you're sure. And it's like, yeah, that's so funny, but mm-hmm. what else do we have? That's like a no, you know, you're not like, mm-hmm. okay, that was lame. No. And then that person's mm-hmm. never going to pitch again. You're like, oh my God, hilarious. What else? That's just like, and then keep going. So if you can like not get embarrassed when your ideas are not accepted and keep mm-hmm. going and like, hey, you didn't like that one. That's fine. I got 10 more. That's a great attitude. Like I'm the energizer bunny of like ideas. Problem solving is obviously a great quality to have. It's like um, one of our staff writers had a great fix on, on a, I think episode 20. It's like, what if instead of this, it was this. And we were like, oh my God, yes, that's the key. So like, that's a very high level skill to have. We don't really rely on a staff writer to like be master problem solvers. Mm-hmm. But like, I would say the number one quality is to not give up or not retreat back into their shell when it's a no. Mm-hmm. And it's like, here's my fantastic idea. Sharner's like, no, and not be like, well, I disagree. That is a fantastic idea. Why are you telling me no? Okay. We don't want to argue. We don't have time for that. Just what other ideas do you have? And then like, okay, right. what about this? What about this? What about this? So resilience. Another thing is, um, you know, like life experience, like a worldview, like a, a diverse room is amazing because you want people from different backgrounds. It's like, oh, well, let me tell you something about my life experience that would help in this episode that's different from everyone else's. If everyone's the same, then you're not getting a worldview of a lot of different points of view. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, it goes without saying, I guess, but you want people to have different backgrounds so that they can bring that experience and, and point of view to the room. Right. Uh, let's see here. Jibriel Turner says, do, do accolades like double recommendations from stage 32 may an impact or make more industry pros interested in my script? I was double recommended in May 2022 and things have been pretty slow. I don't know what that is. Yeah. So I'm, that's like, I think that's the answer right there is like, I don't, I mean, I'm not like up on all the different contests and mm-hmm. different types of accolades that a, a person get. And I, I think we all know that there's a lot of shady contests out there that are like just taking your money and it's like mm-hmm. you win it and they're like, who cares? So I'm not saying that one is one of those. It could be a fantastic legitimate contest, but I don't know what it is. So a double recommend is like a new concept to me. Um, so it's only as valuable as people knowing what it is and valuing it and right. people are not familiar with the contest it's not that valuable mm-hmm. sorry yeah i mean no and i think the consensus is things like austin like nickel even the blacklist which is a paid site um you know obviously you can't get on the annual blacklist itself the real one you just right. that's generated through the industry recommendations but those types of things that everyone hears of that reps respect that people outside the industry, I mean, people within the industry, but outside of representation respect. Uh, A lot of the other ones are real hit or miss. And, you know, so, or like you said, a lot of them are even shady. They just want your money. And it's like an age old problem. I mean, look, the contests are not new. They've they've been around for decades. Mm -hmm. And even when I was breaking up, breaking in in the nineties, there was like, oh, well, enter this contest that no one's ever heard before. And as a writer, I get it. You're like, I don't live in LA. I don't know anyone. My parents are not in the business what choice do I have? Mm-hmm. So I send my hundred dollars to this contest and I pray. And there's something about the personality of a writer, the introvert that is, that's appealing to it. It's like, well, now I've sent my back then you'd actually send it in the mail, but like you, I've sent in my, um, 
submission. I've uploaded it. I paid my money. And now for the next month, I can just dream. Right. And like, it's like, I'm just waiting for someone to like, tell me my dreams have come true. It's like, you bought a lottery ticket and mm-hmm. now you can just dream about, well, if I hit the lottery, you know, it's going to be fantastic. And you, and the fact that it takes a long time is in some ways kind of good for this, this type of personality. It's like, well, it only cost me a hundred dollars and I got a month's worth of dreaming that someone like loved my script and they want to mm-hmm. make my movie or whatever. And the, the hard part is that, look, if you don't, if you get a no or like you don't win or whatever, then you kind of got pretty good feedback if you, but if the problem is like, what if you do win and nothing happens, then it's like, well, was this worth it? What, what was the point of this thing? And, and there's actually more beneficial ways to make relationships and connections and, and that are just a lot more work and require a lot more extroverted personality and a lot more resilience. Cause it's like people telling, you no and people, you know, it's like not face to face, but it's just a lot harder to do it the way that's better mm. for you, for you than, right. than just like upload a thing. Didn't have to talk to anyone. Just tell me that I'm in the business now. Mm-hmm. That's just not as realistic. It's more of a fantasy. And if you want to just like, you know, be a hobby hobbyist where you're writing a script every now and then, and you want to pretend that like one day someone's going to like tell you that your script was amazing and here's a million dollars. I'm not saying to like, don't engage in that fantasy, but if like, this is like your career that you're like, I'm doing mm-hmm. this. Like if you're like, I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to medical school, whatever. I'm going to be a writer. I'm serious. This is the thing that I, you know, have meant to do. It's not necessarily the best approach. Right. And I'd say if you've gotten double recommendations from a, a, a contest or company and you're not getting any traction, try to go to, again, one of the more uh, established ones like nickel and enter nickel and see where it lands there. Uh, and again, it's all subjective. I mean, you could do I've heard of people doing very poorly in nickel and actually getting a rep because the script is well written. But you for whatever reason, the reader who reads it at nickel didn't like it or whatever. So that that does happen. But if you submit to a bunch of different places and it doesn't do well anywhere, then that's probably flaws in your script. But anyway, if yeah. it does well in one, you're not getting traction, maybe try another one. I'm not saying. Yeah. And you know, you shouldn't thing do is like, spend money or not, but I don't want to be quoted as like saying this is the way to do things, but mm-hmm. like maybe if you're going to spend a hundred dollars on a contest, maybe that hundred dollars is better spent just paying a reader to read your script. Yeah, I'm, possibly. Not, I'm not endorsing the blacklist or cover fly or whatever. I don't mm-hmm. care if it's just like a reader mm-hmm. just say like, Hey, I'm not going to enter this contest that if I win, it doesn't matter. Instead, I'm spending $100 to a professional reader to read my script and give me notes mm-hmm. and then tell me, what do you think? And I'm paying you to be 100% honest. Sure. And that person comes back and says, this script is fantastic. You are you know, at a level that deserves to be in this business. There's your answer. Mm-hmm. You don't need to like be a quarter finalist in something. But if you paid someone $100 and they said, this script needs a shitload of work, you know, I think you have a lot of talent, but you're not there yet. You go, okay, well, what are your notes? Let me get there. Right. Tell me what I did wrong. You're better off getting a professional reader to tell you what you did wrong than to have someone blow smoke up your ass and say you're a quarter finalist in a contest that no one's ever heard of. Right. Well, Jibril Turner goes on to say it was a paid coverage uh, and they rate your script and you're supposed to go into industry lookbook. The thing uh, is, uh, we've had dozens of managers on. And they'll mention again, Austin and nickel and even the blacklist. I don't, 
I don't think a single one is mentioned stage 32, not that they're legit or not, but we've never, I haven't heard lit managers recommending like they, or saying that they use that lookbook to find clients at all. So just that's, again, this is just our small section. Yeah. Of, yeah. No, like we're industry. not denigrating that particular no, company. They, I don't really care. It's just that I'm sure they have success stories that, like, of their own. If you have a company that's like a paid service, then you have to ask like, what are the incentives? Are they going to be saying like, positive things about me because they want more of my money hmm. where if it's just like some person who's a professional reader and you can find them on screenwriting twitter and say like i'm looking for uh, professional readers to give me a set of notes and maybe it's 300 maybe that's more than you can afford but if that's three or four or five contests worth of money but like i think a professional reader who's not working for a company that right. doesn't care one way or the other what the answer is mm-hmm. just give me your honest feedback here's the money give me 10 pages of notes that's probably maybe money better spent. Sure. Uh, let's see here. Simba again, I've given up querying reps because no one ever responds <laughs> besides the blacklist and winning a contest. Are there any productive ways to get my work sold or me hired? Mm, now you really kind of have to go through the, the system, try to get a manager or an agent. And because it's like doing it on your own, it's just, you need to be writing. You can't, spend all day long trying to like hustle and like get, I mean, it's possible, you know, you could meet a producer who on your own and that producer gets you your foot in the door, but you really should be focusing on your writing. And like, if you can't get managers to respond to your query letters, I understand that most managers are just not going to respond as a matter of course, but maybe there's something about the query letter. Maybe you're just not Mm -hmm. like, maybe the the pitch is, is not exciting enough. Maybe the log line isn't enticing. Maybe the mm-hmm. subject matter, the subject of the email is not like grabbing them. I don't know. I, I'm not going to like read your query letter and tell you what I find problematic, but pay someone 50 bucks and say, read my query letter and tell me what I'm doing wrong. Mm-hmm. And I found a lot of reps, even reps who say they don't really look at queries. A number of them will say uh, that they'll scan through them, but only read the log line. And if the log line is interesting to them, then they'll, you know, yeah. not even interesting. If the log line stands out as, wow, that sounds cool. Yeah. So a lot, you know, oftentimes it's your log line. People undervalue, you know, they overvalue their, their query. Like I won this contest or I did this. Right. And really they're looking at the log line. If the log yeah. line blows them away, you might get a read. If, yeah, not- if, you were, if I was a manager, exactly. If you were sending me a, a, a query letter, I wouldn't, I'd be like, you place this and this and this and this content. I would ignore all that. I would read the log line and I would be like, do I want to read this or not? It's not personal. Mm-hmm. I just like, I'm right. not interested in that subject or not. And the other thing about log lines and, and about ideas in general is that a lot of low concept ideas are hard to really like be, seem gripping in a log line. If it's like, you know, a psychological drama about a woman who's experiencing trauma after an incident and she tries to like get her life together, but she's having like psychic flashbacks of her past lives. And you're like, okay. Mm-hmm. It's just like, what about that is new and compelling and interesting right. and we haven't seen before. If it's like, you know, a father and son go on a road trip and reconnect after like 30 years apart. It's like, Okay. I mean, it could be like an Academy Award winning movie, but it's not a gripping log line. And like, and for someone with not a lot of time, I think that save the 
Hmm. you know, very low concept, you know, ideas hmm. for when your your passion project for later. Mm-hmm. It's like like high concept ideas tend to be get a better reception if it's just like a big idea. You know, right. I'm, I'm gonna quote night ideas from the '90s that are like high concept movies. But I will quote one: the when I was moving to LA, and this is I understand this is 25 years ago, and and this is like not the way the world works anymore. But I had my one idea, and back then, high concept movies were really the key. And I was like, I had written my one script, and it was like Chris Farley was alive, and I people mm-hmm. probably heard this story a million times, but it was about an overweight guy who wakes up in an alternate universe where <clears throat> overweight people are considered sexy by society, and thin people are not. Mm. everyone wanted to read it <laughs> and it's stupid and like yes it's not a good idea for 2022 and i understand chris farley's dead mm-hmm. and whatever but for 1997 it was a good idea and it's but it's an example of a very simple concept and people are like okay i can see that mm-hmm. i'll read it and like when i would send that query letter out i don't know i still got a lot of rejections but a lot of people are like yeah i'll read it right but like simple ideas that we haven't seen before are just like going to get better responses. Right. And like you said, also taking something that's familiar that you look from a different perspective can help because, you know, they are automatically have a perspective on it. Uh, One that always sticks out to me was um, a pitch that I had heard or a log line that I had read and it was uh, called Nottingham. It was basically the sheriff of Nottingham, but, he the sheriff of nottingham actually is also robin hood so that he feels bad so when he's robbing when he's uh taking money from the poor he's also at night becoming robin hood and giving the money back to the poor right robbing from the rich giving to the poor so to me that was an interesting take on a story that's been told a million times yeah and and when did you hear that first time how long ago a decade ago maybe right and you remember it Mm -hmm. because it was like simple you remember it because it was like interesting take yes it's not like they invented robin hood but like oh, oh interesting i right. remember it it's memorable mm-hmm. so that's so that goes to the idea inception it's like are you going to write this like like very low concept like character driven drama or are mm-hmm. you going to write something that's you know maybe to get your manager maybe this isn't the one that gets made mm-hmm. but like to get in your your foot in the door is like a little bit of a like sexier you know concept right it's like that's what's going to pe- get people's attention Right. And talking about, you mentioned Eric Kripke earlier from The Boys. I actually went to film school with Eric at SC. Oh, cool. And he, he, I remember he had a pitch that was called, I think it was called Central Park. I don't remember the name of it, but it was basically a, a, a zoo, a special zoo that was not known to the public that was in Central Park. And they had all the mythical creatures, the Loch Ness Monster and Bigfoot mm-hmm. or whatever, and, and they escape. And so mm-hmm. the whole movie is them trying to recapture all the monsters without the public finding out about again, all these, these monster, you know, monsters, these creatures, yeah. mythical creatures escaping from this zoo. Uh, and again, I remember it because it's okay. I could see that in my head without knowing yeah. details, without knowing, I know what this right. movie's about. Right. Yeah. And especially uh, like in TV, when it comes to TV pilots, remember, this is a sample, almost impossible to get that show bought, sold, made, whatever. Yeah. So if you're writing a sample, write something that's going to be memorable. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I have like, when I've been reading pilots before, I'll, I can like come up with lists of like the, the type of show that I've already seen before a million times. It's like, I'm, um, my parents are immigrants and this is a story that takes place 
um, 20 years ago when I was a kid with my crazy immigrant parents. And this is what my life was like when I was in high school and had to deal with my parents, which were, who were like really zany. Mm. And it's like, I get it. You live mm-hmm. it. I totally understand. That's a great story for a, a general meeting, but I've seen that pilot a million times. Right. Unless you have some unusual take about it and not saying you shouldn't write your immigrant story. Fantastic stuff. Right. But, but like, what's the original take? Right. Absolutely. Um, um, Eddie Babayan, hopefully I pronounced your name right, Eddie. Uh, what are the best prep materials that are being used like pitch decks, detailed show Bibles that plot out a full season or proof of concepts to support the pilot? I don't do any of that stuff. I mean, I don't know about pitch decks. Cause like when we pitch a show, we just pitch the show and it's like 10 to 15 minutes for like, here's the show. Mm-hmm. And I could tell you how I do my pitch, but they don't ever say like, well, what's the, what's the pitch deck? I, what are the visuals? It's like, I don't know, man, if you can't figure out what the show is from me telling you what the show is, then I must've right. done a bad job. So this idea that like in the last 10 years that pitch decks are the key. I mean, in certain genres, maybe because I'm doing half hour, like, I get stranger things. If you're like, okay, this is a moody period thing. It takes place in the 80. And then their lookbook is important because it's like, this is the mood. And this is the type of images you can expect from this type of show. Then sure. I understand if you're doing like some sort of psychological or horror movie or whatever, then these are the elements. And like, this is what the monster looked like, Mm -hmm. I guess. But if you're like, this is an office and it takes place, you know, in like, whatever it's a, like you said, it's, it takes place in a zoo. You're like, okay or this is a you know romantic comedy it two people meet at the dmv i don't know i don't think the pitch deck sells it and also like people who are trying to break in spend so much time like plotting out the entire season of their Mm -hmm. show i'm just gonna say it. it's a complete waste of time Mm -hmm. there is no show you've not sold the show no one's making your show don't plot out their whole season or your show write the pilot go get a manager. And then when you sell a show, then you can plot out the season of your show. Mm-hmm. And like when we go in for a pitch at a network and they say, where do you see this going? It's like two sentences. Mm. We're not like, okay, I'm glad you asked episode nine. <laughs> you, made it. you know, right. They're like, what happens in the season one? Well, we think the characters kind of learn this basic lesson and it goes from here to here. Mm-hmm. Like, have you thought, and they like, we'll say things like, have you thought about season more seasons, like two, three, like where could it go after season one? It's like, Oh yeah. The funny thing is that after they go through this whole journey, Mm -hmm. then you could reset it and you could do it over again with them like a year later. And that's season two. Right. That's all you need. Right. And they're like, basically the question is, is there more than one season? Mm -hmm. Yes. Here's how. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. That's enough. Cause they're, it's like, honestly, if you like have sold the show and they're like, okay, now we bought it. Now we need, yes. Then we write Bibles. Then we write season breakdowns for mm-hmm. sure. When we're getting paid and the show is in development, you know, uh, a no good Nick, we broke a lot of the season before we even had a writer's room. And like, we did a show for Netflix that didn't go, but it was 24 episodes and we broke, you know, like half a page of all 24 because mm-hmm. it was, we were paid to, it was part of our Bible. They're right. like, we need you to break all the episodes more or less. So we did it because they paid us. Right. And you know, it wasn't like spending three months figuring out 24 episodes of a show that no one's ever said they wanted. Mm-hmm. Is it good use of time? Please just write five other pilots. Then yeah. the entire season, come up with 10 other pitches, five other pilots, 
but episode nine of the show that you haven't sold is a complete waste of time. Mm-hmm. I'm well, going to probably get, get hate mail for that. No, because uh, even if on the one in a million chance the lottery win, you sell a pilot as a, a, a you know a, a writer with no track record, right? And you have, have a show bible with all the seasons plotted out for the first three seasons of your show all plotted out. You're not going to be the showrunner of that show. They're going to hire a showrunner like David to come in and, you know, and, and yeah. run your show. And they're going to implode yeah. that. They may take a few things here and then they may glance at it. But no, you're going to get a whole writer's room. You're going to plot out a season. Right. You're going to do a whole new thing. And that's all going to be just sort of. And I'll tell aside, you right? and I'll tell you why. OK, this is going to seem counterintuitive, but I'll tell you why it's a really, really bad idea to spend too much time on the rest of your season. First of all, if they are looking, if you're a new writer and they are looking for a showrunner to come on and I got a script, um, my wife and I, you know, read scripts from time to time, you know, from network looking for showrunners Mm -hmm. and say, this is a show that we have in development. We're looking to attach a showrunner. We read the script. If they sent us a Bible that had all the episodes, we'd be like, okay, I'm not touching this with a 10 foot pole. I mean, I don't need to step into a room with a creator who's not the showrunner telling me that we've already figured out 10 episodes. And I say, well, you know what? Actually, we were thinking of taking it in a slightly different direction that would make all the, that not work. Mm-hmm. So we want to go. And it's like, I don't want to be involved in that because this person's like, this is their baby. It's their vision. Mm-hmm. And we're just going to say, no, we don't want to be involved. And guess who else is also going to say that? The network. Because mm-hmm. the network's like, we don't want to get involved with some crazy person that's already figured out all you know nine seasons of their show. Mm-hmm. The reason... TV works the way it does is because the executives develop it with you. They Mm -hmm. tailor it to what their needs are. And if you're like coming in with all this stuff figured out, that's just a nightmare scenario for the like, okay, well, this person is clearly not going to be open to doing things differently. We don't want to work with someone who's like not collaborative. And if Mm -hmm. they've already figured it out, I don't want to tell them that like, I'm not going to be the one to tell them when we're not doing it that way. So they're just going to say, forget it. Mm -hmm. Crazy. So one episode, a couple sentences about season one, one sentence about beyond season one, that's plenty. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, read the pitch deck for Stranger Things. It literally says like, what do we do in season two? Well, funny thing you ask, 10 years later, <laughs> and it's like this long. It's like 10 years right. later, they're all whatever. And it's like, we can do more seasons. Mm-hmm. That was it. Yeah. And by the way, they didn't do it 10 years later right? because even that's a stupid idea because if you know, you sell the show, it gets made and it becomes a huge hit. You want to keep the same actors because now they're all big stars. You can't be like 10 years later, we got 10 new actors, right? You got to have the same actors doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So you can't like reinvent the show and fire all the actors. Right. So, right. Anyways, don't spend your time doing that. Spend your time writing some, you're better off with 10 pilots than 10 episodes of one pilot. Right. Absolutely. Um, so it is, it's, it's been 90 minutes. We do have a few more questions. Do you have t- another five, yeah. 10 minutes to go through? Let's the last? Do it. All right. Let's last few questions. here. Let's I'll see stop here. being long-winded. No, no, not at all. It's great. <laughs> um, let's see. Simba again. I hope you don't get in trouble for answering this. You know, you're in for a good question. Well, if um, I will, I just won't answer. Okay. But do you think Star Trek should officially be rebooted? It's hard getting into strange new worlds because it contradicts original series canon. I like Strange New Worlds. I, I, I really enjoy the show. I feel like they try to like, you know, 
do episodes that are based on old series. And it's like a lot of times we'll watch it and I'll watch the first couple minutes and then I'll be like, oh, this is based on this episode. And then I'll watch it with my wife and my daughter and be like, we need to watch the old series so we understand. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to see like what the Ponfar is like. Now we're going to see that. <laughs> so, um, no, I mean, I'm a huge Star Trek fan and look, no one cares about my opinion on Star Trek, but I don't think rebooting the actual Kirk mm. enterprise serves any i like the way they do stranger worlds because it's like you get the best of kirk without it being kirk because it's like pike he's sort of like kirk but he's slightly different and you still get spock Mm -hmm. and they're telling new stories and it's mostly episodic but it's a little teeny bit serialized so the episodes are kind of some of them are are hit or miss but i think for the most part it's really well done Mm -hmm. so i really really enjoy that show um i would not because like who are you gonna who are you gonna please it's like there's the one, the finale of Stranger Worlds when um, they, they actually introduce James T. Kirk and it's just some other actor. And you're like, mm-hmm. that's not Jim Kirk. Right. It's like, no matter who you get, you're just not going to be satisfied. Right. And it's like, that's not the Jim Kirk I know. So like, just don't touch that. Right. And do I mean, I love Lower Decks. Lower Decks is one of my favorite shows. Mm-hmm. That is a great, you know, show in, in the in the universe. So I guess I would say no original Star Trek remake. Gotcha. Um, let's see here. Uh, Todd Klinger. I have one spec feature that's gotten an eight on the blacklist and a couple of shout outs on Twitter. I don't have anything else I'd be comfortable showing right now, which I think is a good sign. Uh, okay. To start querying with the one. Yes. Yes. We've heard this from other lit reps on. Yes, absolutely. All you need is one, one great one. One great one is better than three good ones. Yeah. You got an eight on the blacklist. Go for it. Uh, let's see here. Jibriel Turner. Thanks for the great answer. It was paid. Oh, no, we already covered that one. Jibriel. Uh, and lastly, Todd Klinger again. I'm obliged to ask this question because I <laughs> ask it every show. Uh, hey, cowboy. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel about road trip scripts? Mine has a twist. I'd call it mid-concept. Um, it's for a feature. I think it's fine. I mean, it's a genre, right? It's not like, oh, no, no road trips. Cars are, are passe. It's totally fine. I mean, the good thing about a road trip is that it has a built-in structure. It's like a sports movie. You know, the big game is at the end. So like, does that mean that you can't do a sports movie just because it has a set structure? Right. It's fine. If you got to like do it in a way that's memorable, like Rocky, you know, they're going to have a big fight at the end. Mm -hmm. So uh, a road trip, they're going to start at the act one is where they started and act three is them getting there. I get it. And in the middle, there's like a lot of like stuff of like diners and like going off the road and like Mm -hmm. cars breaking down and shit like that and like whatever. But can you do it in a way that like reinvents the genre? There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's completely fine. You just have to like not have it be filled with cliches. Right. Absolutely. Like you can't do any more Robin Hood stuff. Well, we proved or it was actually Cole Hayden or Cole Hayden uh, who came up with that. So uh, apparently you can if you just switch it up, you know, come yeah. up with a new take on it. Um, but yeah, a few uh, I think it was John Zalzerny. He's like, I don't like road trip movies, but, you know, that's his perspective. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, again, like if someone came up with a version of a road trip, movie that's that true. Was just like a different take or like mm-hmm. it's a road trip movie, like, you know, they have to get across the country, but they only have the gas that they carried with him and they can't mm-hmm. stop. It's, it's like speed, but right. road trip, like they have a truck and there's gasoline in the truck, but they can never stop. So they have to keep refueling it on the way. I don't know. I'm just making shit up. Right, right, right. There's like something you're like, Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. I like this right. road trip movie. I don't like them in general, but that one was different and unique. Right. I mean, it's like Mad Max Fury road. Is that a road trip movie? <laughs> 
let's see here. Last question. Adrian Manzano. Vampires, zombies, superheroes are cyclical. What do you see coming down the pipeline? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, yes, I agree with you that doing something in the superheroes is like not a good idea because it's like after the boys, it's like, okay, enough already. Everything mm-hmm. is superheroes. Um, and now they're doing the spinoff with like superheroes in college. But um, yeah, and there was like vampires and zombies were huge 10 years ago. I don't know. It's like, has it been long enough for like, now there's the next werewolf thing and zombies. And I I don't know. It's like, I'm not a huge fan of those genres anyway, but um, you know, if you have an original take on it, then you could be the one to bring it back. I mean, I, I tell you when I was first starting out, sex comedies were dead because like Mm. Porky's and animal house, all those movies that had like petered out in the early eighties like we're stupid like how much can you say about sex mm-hmm. and then like you know american pie came out in 99 it's like oh sex comedies are back right and i wound up you know being hired to write a bunch of them um and now they're dead again because they're kind of stupid but um i don't know there's just, just like what do you love if you can bring it back in an interesting way go for it clint williams says please answer with westerns <laughs> i love westerns but yeah i know it's a they're tough sales Um, Yeah, I think anything that's like a a specific genre like that is going to automatically be like not something that a lot of places are going to do. They're like, okay, we don't do Westerns. mm -hmm. So that's just not our cup of tea. But like, you know, they just had uh, what what, the one about the dog, uh, the the name of the dog, the something of the dog. The Western. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know what you're talking about. I don't know the exact name of it. But yeah, I know what you're talking about. I mean, look, if you pull it off, you pull it off. It's like trying to do. Like they'll say, oh, no period pieces. We hate period pieces. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. they make tons of period pieces. Sure. It's like, I just wouldn't be too concerned about trying to find the thing that you're most likely to sell because you're probably not going to sell it anyway. You just want to have it be good. Right. Right. Uh, so on that note, I appreciate your time as always. Uh, I know you're going to possibly be taking a hiatus from podcasts for a little while. To yeah. Get I've, been, some re- real I've, been work like say, I've been saying yes to everyone too much. Right. So I'm going to be like, yeah, I plus I think that people are going to get sick of me. I don't think so, but no, I just I was just fishing for compliments. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're in Los Angeles, I haven't made it to a West Side Writers Meetup just yet. How dare you? It was COVID. Well, it was COVIDy, and then my wife was out of town because she uh, is. That's why you go. Amazing race. Well, no, but I have an eight-year-old son that I bring can't. him. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, last time we were out of town, but I think this one I can actually come to in August. So hopefully yeah, August that'll be 17th, I believe. 17th, so. so if you're there, oh, it's called Power of the Dog, Clint Williams. Yes, thank you. I know. It's like I knew it had something to do with the dog. Um, so, yeah, I'll try to make it. So hopefully I can make one of these. Uh, if you're in Los Angeles, be sure to uh, follow David on Twitter. It's David H. Steinberg. But, but, but you can follow me even if you're not in Los Angeles. No, you can. You can. But if you have, <laughs> th- that's where he posts the information on the monthly uh, writers meetups. Um, and uh, so be sure to do that. We're off next week. Uh, I have family in town and my son's birthday. So we'll be back after that, the week of uh, the 30th. So Saturday, July 30th, we're back with uh, showrunner Stephen Maeda, whose new series One Piece is coming out on Netflix based on the popular Japanese manga series. That's uh, July 30th, Saturday, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. He's also written for X-Files and Lost. So I guess we're going drama, not comedy next time. Um but thank you, David. It's, oh, welcome. it's a pleasure as always. And thank you all for joining us. We will see you next time.